Welcome to the Divorce Podcast, a podcast that aims to address divorce, separation and co-parenting here in the UK, countering the often sensationalist way it's portrayed in the media, challenging the status quo and driving for reform. On each episode, I'm joined by experts to discuss divorce, separation and co-parenting from different angles and to give their opinions and to debate them. I'm Kate Daly, a relationship counsellor and divorce coach, co-founder of Amicable, the divorce services company and host of this divorce podcast. In this episode, I was joined by Ash Pugh and Dan Martinez. Ash is an award-winning documentary filmmaker and co-founder of New Kids on the Blockchain, a leading content provider specialising in creation and distribution within the blockchain and cryptocurrency space. Dan is a divorce lawyer and has over 12 years experience in family law with a great reputation and extensive knowledge of the legalities surrounding financial settlements. In this episode, I began by asking Ash to give us an overview of what cryptocurrency is and Dan then explained how this relates to divorce financial settlements. We discussed the importance of equipping yourself with knowledge if your spouse has cryptocurrency and you're going through a separation or divorce. I was really interested to hear about how this space is developing and the importance of getting expert help if crypto features in your marital assets. This is definitely a topic we will explore in the future. Enjoy. Right, guys. So today is all about crypto and divorce. So we're going to have to take this very slowly because I know nothing about crypto. So I think maybe, Ash, if you start, if you would, by just giving us a definition of what exactly cryptocurrency is. And then I'm going to come and ask Dan about how divorce and crypto marries up. Well, I certainly don't want to bamboozle you with loads of sort of technology. But essentially, cryptocurrency is a digital currency, which is an alternative form of value that's created using encryption and algorithms. But essentially, there doesn't need to be a third party that verifies things. It's self-verifies. A lot of that means that means no banks are involved. Yeah, there's no. Basically, it's a trustless system. Essentially, anybody involved in the the blockchain that it's on gets a copy of the ledger of every transaction. If I gave you a Bitcoin, it would be registered, and everybody who owns a Bitcoin in the network would see that I'd given you a Bitcoin. It doesn't need a bank to go. Yep, approved, stamped. It doesn't need a solicitor to. It's self-governed, which is one of the most powerful things about it. Using something called smart contracts, which is essentially just it works itself out and gets verified all the way along. Most cryptocurrencies, despite what people think, are not anonymous. They're completely trackable because they're on a public ledger. But there are also anonymous cryptocurrencies where they are designed to be completely, you know, sort of privacy focused. There can be a lot of varieties, not just ones that are used for transactional value. We won't get into this now, but there's a big thing called NFTs recently, non-fungible tokens, which has exploded. There are cryptocurrencies that give you equity in different companies as a transaction. But for the purpose of this conversation, what it means is there is a completely new digital asset that's been created that not a lot of people have got any clue of how to govern, deal with, legally, you know, sort of be aware of. And it's a there's a real knowledge gap between holding these currencies and something like relevance of, you know, a divorce. Okay. So then along comes a divorce. We've got this new asset class and we have to work out the value of the crypto or the asset in order to be able to then split it and decide what it's worth in relation to other assets. So before we get into how you do that with crypto, Dan, you just give us the sort of once over in terms of when you get divorced, 
how do you deal with your finances? So non-crypto finances, what's the standard way of dealing with finances? What do you have to do? Financial settlement refers to the division of the matrimonial assets owned between the parties in order to determine who gets what in a fair way. Now, the first point to clarify, which is often misunderstood, is that divorce does not stop financial claims. If you divorce and you win the lottery the very next week, then there absolutely remains the risk of a claim against you by your ex-spouse. Now, there's a famous case, Vincent Wyatt, uh, a few years back, where actually there was a successful claim 23 years after a divorce. Yeah, I remember. Um, They had no assets when they divorced. They had no court order. And he became a self-made eco-millionaire, essentially. And in the end, she got 300,000 to buy a house and 325 grand in legal fees. The principle's clear, though. That until matters are sealed by the court, then you never have certainty, even over two decades later. Obviously, following Vincent Wyatt, you can see that it's really helpful to have a court order or a consent order. And what's also worth noting is that certain aspects of financial settlement, pension share, for example, can only occur when you have a court order that sets out the pension share details. The pension provider will not act without it. And there are also potential tax advantages to dealing with certain assets, property transfers, disposals, when they take place in adherence with a court order upon divorce. So what this all points to is it's eminently sensible to have a court order when you're separated. There's two ways to do it. One, long, expensive and stressful court battle where the court determines the outcome and makes an order for you. Or two, you reach agreement yourselves and have this agreement drafted as a court order known as a consent order because it's been made by consent. You then ask the court to approve it. The court will do that if they think it's fair. They're not there to interfere, but they're also not simply a rubber stamp. So how do they determine if it's fair? For the court to do that, they need to know what your assets and debts are. These are assets and debts in both parties' names, as well as in your respective names. Only when you know the assets and their values can you look at what's a fair division. Okay, so I guess that's where the crypto bit comes in then. So over to you, Ash. You've got to list your assets and debts in a divorce. How do you go about valuing or determining the value of cryptocurrency? Is it like a pound and it's got the pound symbol on it and you know it's a pound or is it, it sounds like it's a lot more complicated than that? Oh, no, it's much more complicated. <laughs> and that's, this is where it gets really interesting. I mean, just yeah. for a bit of background also, I, I've been through divorce in the past and I, I've done the form E, you know, the, the form where you literally sit there and break down every asset you have and you provide proof of how you got those assets. Also, back even back then, it was quite a wide range of assets, you know, sort of holdings in precious metals, holdings in stocks and shares, pensions, bank accounts, you know, quite a lot to get together. But it was still relatively easy and methodical because it's very easy to say, I've got some gold and it's worth X. I've got some pension funds and as of today, they're worth Y and go through that process. The problem with cryptocurrency here is twofold. One, the price is incredibly volatile. In the last week, we've seen Bitcoin go right down to 43,000 and then zoom back up to 51 in the period. And it's not uncommon for those assets to move 20% in a day. The other thing is, there are two ways in which you can hold cryptocurrency. The sort of more governed and regulated way, which is using a regulated exchange like Coinbase, for example. And in order to do any trading, you would need to do full KYC, know your customer, anti-money laundering laws. And essentially then it's very easy. In a divorce, you would say, this is my Coinbase account. It's got three Bitcoins, some Ethereum, 
and it would all tally in. And there's no way that somebody can gain that system because once that cryptocurrency has gone in, it has been revealed to HMRC because they're part of a regulated setup. So if cryptocurrency is considered the Wild West, the decentralized part, which I'm about to explain now, is almost like the drunken poker saloon on the corner. Right. Mark but cards. both are legal, are they? They're both legal. They're both legal. Okay. They're both legal, but a centralized exchange is regulated and, you know, there's no More way transparent get... by the sound of it, which helps exactly. if you're in a divorce process. Yep. So that's relatively simple. But if you're using decentralized exchanges, they're just a peer-to-peer exchange. I've got a Bitcoin. You've got something else. We do a swap. Nobody knows about it. And you can very quickly, if you know what you're doing, amass you know, a large sum of money that nobody knows about. Right. Now, the difficulty there, of course, is how are you going to turn it back into fiat? And any time you turn it back into fiat, that's where you need to hit a KYC on-ramp of some kind. But there could well be a situation where somebody has a load of cryptocurrency that their spouse knows nothing about. Maybe their spouse doesn't, it's over their head, they don't understand, but the other yeah. person is really into it. I had, just for reference, a call about three weeks ago where a client of mine said, would you speak to my friend? She's about to go into court tomorrow, and she's discovered her spouse has got a large sum of coins that he says are worthless. So I was very easily able to ascertain that they were saleable at that point, and it was worth several hundred thousand pounds. Despite this, she went into court the following day, and her barrister had no idea how to manage it, and she lost. So he wasn't equipped to be able to sort of, he didn't have the understanding of these digital assets to be able to defend her right to them. Now, I've suggested she should go back and, you know, try and revisit that now. But it's very difficult, first of all, to ascertain where assets are held. And there are now thousands of different cryptocurrencies, some of which are completely anonymous. And the anonymous cryptocurrencies use an encryption method. So nobody knows who's sending what, where, how, when, you know, whatever. Right. So those are the two real problems that I can see in in division of assets. So I'm going to just bring Dan back in here because, Dan, I mean, one of the things with the court process, whether you do it amicably by doing it by consent or whether you go through the court, effectively, when you do your financial disclosure, you are signing to say that this is a truthful and honest and open and full disclosure of all of your assets. So you are in breach of that if you are hiding or or you've undervalued whether deliberately or by accident the court doesn't care but if you if you've signed this to say the statement of truth which is what goes along on a d81 a statement of truth then does that give you any protection dan the protection is kind of the wrong word perhaps i mean as i say as i said the landscape has changed on assets yeah as, as you said before, it used to be very simple. You know, 12 months bank statements, you know, your last P60, agree a house valuation. If you can't agree, get an independent valuer, chartered surveyor, whoever, to provide a valuation, and you get a nice, easy asset list. That's now not the case with crypto. And as Ash said, and I'm... <laughs> I'm like most people, I think, I don't have a detailed knowledge of it or how it works. I understand that there is a way of tracking it back to see an initial purchase, perhaps. But then there's this decentralized exchange where it's almost totally hidden. So it's a risk. If you sign a statement of truth and you are found to have misled the court, it is a contempt of court that has you know, punitive measures, not just in respect of a uh, 
you know, you can be fined. Mm-hmm. You know, it's ultimately not that it would ever realistically happen, perhaps, but maybe this will change that imprisonment. And it can. It's one of the very few areas in England where conduct, which is listed as one of the reasons for determining financial settlements, you know, in 12 years as solicitor, I saw it used twice. And both are, in essence, financial misconduct. You know, if you took, right. if there was 100 grand in the joint account and you blew it all in Vegas one weekend, the court would be amiss to not include that as part of the overall settlement, you know, using your conduct on that, just blowing the money as part of how they divide the assets. So I guess what you're saying is they would need to feel very confident that they're going to mislead the court that it couldn't be found. And, you know, perhaps that is a way, and I hope it's not. Yeah, but I suppose whilst it might not be found now in two years, three years, five years, ten years' time, if it was found then, would you still be able to go back and say, effectively, the assets in our marriage were not properly disclosed, and this is what I have subsequently found out, would that then give you a way of altering your settlement? So rather like Ash's friend the other day, she could technically go back and argue that point, could she? Yes. You know, in, in theory, if there was, I mean, I guess the difficulty on that one, without knowing the details of that case, is she did seem to be aware of them because she yeah. brought them to Ash's attention or somebody else, so her friend brought them to Ash's attention. Whether due diligence on her part of looking into it or saying to her solicitors, I really want you to look at what this is and we need to find out more. I don't know. If it turned up after the event and a financial settlement was Mm -hmm. made, absolutely. Mm -hmm. They couldn't value them. Sorry to interrupt. They they couldn't value them as the problem because they weren't saleable on a traditional centralised exchange. So you couldn't put a value on them. And the argument of the husband was they had no worth. But I knew that you could sell them on a decentralized exchange for a handsome figure. The problem was the barrister had no understanding of decentralized exchanges versus centralized. And when he looked to try and value them on a traditional exchange, they weren't listed. So in turn, had no value that they could place. Right. My understanding. So that's that's interesting, isn't it? So that's then about the knowledge and experience of the people dealing in divorce and separation, isn't it? And knowing that kind of expertise, having that expertise that you clearly have to be able to say, actually, it sounds like that's if you're, you know, if people are listening to this and they know that their spouse has crypto, it sounds like that's a good place to start, isn't it? Speaking to an expert about the different ways of valuing this asset and being able to then have the arguments lined up. I mean, even if your barrister doesn't. If you're a barrister thinking on your feet, well, you should be saying, I'll have half of those things that aren't worth anything. Why not? Yeah. You know, you're, you're not going to be losing anything because yeah. you're saying they've got no value. So, yeah, yeah, well, that, that's the other way around of doing it. Absolutely, isn't it, Dan? Where, you know, where we have assets that are disputed in value, that is often the resolution, isn't it, to split that asset? So, Ash, can you do that? So in a divorce settlement, does the court have the power to tell somebody to sell crypto in the way that it can put an order for sale of a property in, for example? If, if it's a more well-known cryptocurrency, like Bit, say just for easy numbers, Bitcoin for argument's sake is worth around $50,000 per Bitcoin mm-hmm. at this point in time. So say somebody had, you know, 
10 Bitcoin, essentially there is half a million dollars of value that would be very easy to ascertain. If it's sat on a traditional exchange, you will see it there. There are slight complications with anybody who was involved in cryptocurrency many years ago may have mined it on their home computer. So if they've done that, there's no real record of where it came from. So you could have some people who've been in this space for a long time. You've got a huge amount of cryptocurrency that's never been bought. It's been mined using their crypto, their computing power, because that's how essentially you could earn some of these coins back in the early days, is you would provide your computing power to the network. And as a reward, you would be given some of the coin that was part of the, of the system. So there are lots of ways to acquire crypto, which don't necessarily have a red flag that you can easily spot. But on the basis that you could easily ascertain that there were 10 Bitcoin, you would then have to, it's not as easy to hold Bitcoin as it is to put pounds in your pocket or money into the bank. You would need a, a Bitcoin wallet, which means you have to know how that works. The money would have to be sent to that Bitcoin wallet. The person who receives it would need to know that if they lose the, the secret keywords to that wallet, they've lost the money. There's a case of a guy at the moment that's lost over a hundred million pounds worth of Bitcoin because a computer got thrown out by his wife and it's currently in a Swansea skip uh, site somewhere. And he's sort of petitioning to try and get Swansea council to allow him to dig it up to find this computer where this missing money is. So there, it's, it's easy enough to divide it if you can find it, but there is an element of holding it isn't as simple. If you've got a spouse who's not very technically advanced, who doesn't really understand this stuff, it could be quite a daunting concept to have to manage this Bitcoin. It's probably easier to divide and sell it, which you could again do very easily, treat it as shares, for example. And if there are 10 shares of this asset, sell them and divide. You know, That's a relatively straightforward thing. But I know people now that are breeding digital racehorses that can race in in NFT stadiums that are valued at tens of thousands of pounds with these digital horses. Now, how are you going to get on in a divorce case bringing up your spouse's digital horse that he has? Is I mean, that's the next level of uh, fun and games, I think. It makes my head hurt just thinking about it. <laughs> <laughs> you mentioned uh, at the beginning of this the fluctuating value of Bitcoin, or not just Bitcoin, but crypto more generally. Dan, we often get that raised, don't we, when we're dealing with people where we have a financial disclosure done, let's just say for the sake of argument, it's done today in December. Their settlement might not go through because it's going to go through the court. The court takes at least six to eight weeks. In six to eight weeks, we know the value of many assets can change. But with crypto, it could have gone through 10, maybe more cycles of, you know, bust and boom and bust, couldn't it, I guess. So, what are the what are the tactics for dealing with changing assets? Because they're they're worked out on a percentage basis normally, aren't they, Dan? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think it's difficult to have a comparative. It's I mean, share prices are obviously the most obvious one. But again, finding shares that would, you know, deviate in the way that Ash has set out are unusual. You know, normally what you would do is let's say you're in contested proceedings. At the beginning, you file your form E, which we spoke about, and that's where you attach all of your disclosure documents. And that would usually include a listed share price on the day, in essence, or a few days before the day that you've signed your form E of statement of truth. These proceedings can take a year, perhaps, and normally, <laughs> so yeah, and normally there would be a point where the judge, coming towards the end of the proceedings, would ask for updated disclosure. So you've been working on a set of figures. 
There's an acknowledgement that some of these will change over time and there'll be a list of updated numbers to provide and probably shares is almost certainly likely to be one. And that's how it's been dealt with. And of course, by the time there's court orders approved and implementation, you know, prices are probably changed again, but it's not a perfect science. As you say, if you split something, shares 50-50, then you're both sharing in the risk and reward. Mm -hmm. But outside of that, and that would apply to crypto, you know, in essence, it doesn't matter if they're worth 50,000 or 60,000. If you're sharing them equally, then it's the same issue for both of you. Of course, one of you may be reliant on that a lot more. And so that might be a factor if they go down. But there's no perfect science. The values that it can fluctuate to such a high and low extreme, particularly if you hold so much of it, you know, a million pounds in crypto, 200,000 pounds in a week change, that's huge. And I don't think there is a perfect answer right now how you do it beyond the fact that the courts would ask for a line in the sand point where the values are and you kind of have to go with that mm. Um, mm. you know it's a new asset you know yeah. there's not a direct comparison in the past so Ash thinking about things that where maybe couples are a bit more amicable and they're kind of trying to divide their assets, you know, in a fair way. And they're keen to make sure that both of them share in any upside. For a novice, is crypto a good thing to be receiving in a, in a divorce? Or do you need some level of knowledge to really make it a valuable asset for you? I mean, I think the, uh, the main thing is it's not going away anytime soon. It's growing exponentially. There are now DeFi, the term is decentralized finance. There are lots of DeFi platforms where you can earn interest rates that are, you know, completely unattainable in traditional banking. So there, you know, you can earn 12 to 18% a year by giving your cryptocurrency to one of these platforms and you get rewarded in it. So I think it's not going away. It's very important. And it would, by anybody who asks me about it, I say, have a little bit of it somewhere because it mm. should be part of the balance of your mix. The difficult bit becomes if a spouse isn't very technologically advanced and they decide they're going to split these things between them, there'd need to be a level of care about making sure that process isn't too daunting in the same way that it might be daunting if somebody has thoroughbred racehorses and they said, Mm. right, you now get one of the racehorses. And I thought, I don't know what to do with it. Mm. So I think there needs to be a level of care there. And I think hopefully there will be more cases where people are trying to do this amicably, excuse the pun, but I think there will certainly be cases where people are trying to hide money through cryptocurrencies. I'm just very grateful that at the time of my divorce, I hadn't been involved in cryptocurrency yeah. at all because it makes my head hurt just thinking about it now too. But I think there needs to be some inclusion of digital assets on the form E uh, or whatever forms you know mm-hmm. required. And there needs to be some way to sense check that that has been truthfully accounted for. Yeah. And do you think there are experts around that can help people? So if, if you know, I'm on the receiving end of a divorce petition and I've got to do my financial disclosure, is there somewhere I can go to get this help and advice on crypto if I suspect my spouse has crypto accounts? There's actually someone I was going to suggest you should perhaps get on this podcast at some point because we have a relationship with a guy called Joe who runs a company called Miner, M-Y-N-A, and they essentially are a crypto accountant specialist. I had to engage him for our services because my traditional accountant, as good as he is, didn't have the level of knowledge that this guy has. So I would say if, if somebody is deeply involved in cryptocurrencies, I would suggest that there is some sort of audit done 
by somebody who understands the space you know, mm. inside out. And that that could then be used as the basis to give people who perhaps don't have the knowledge somewhere to, to start from. Well, look, this is just fascinating. It is literally mind-blowing. I think my head is slightly hurting from trying to think this through. It Sorry. just feels like, no, just at the moment, from a divorce perspective, this is such a new kind of asset. It's such a new area. It feels scary that, you know, the legal system doesn't have the knowledge or expertise necessarily yet to quite get there and that the the rules and the laws around it aren't quite there to make it just another asset that you can treat the same way you treat everything else so it's a fascinating space just down briefly any top tips if um people have got back back to ash just then i mean one of the other difficulties as well is you know auditors coming in to do you know an audit or some cryptocurrency a, you need to know it exists in the first place because the, the problem you have with the courts, and it's not, I guess, not a problem, it's, it's a reality, is cost and proportionality. Yeah. yeah. I couldn't say, right, I'm going to divorce. I want my wife to be financially audited and she can pay for it. You know, there has to be a real strong basis for a belief that they have this or that they are, you know, non disclosing it. You know, you might want to say, two years ago, I know they got 100 grand. And that is now no longer present in their asset list with no explanation of where it is. I have heard them talk about it. I'm not even convinced maybe that would potentially be enough. So I think that's a key issue that we're going to find because the courts are loath to fishing expeditions. They don't want to just say, right, go back seven years and look at accounts. They're not going to do that because they have a duty to get the case through the court in a reasonable time frame with costs being proportionate, investigations being proportionate. Mm-hmm. And there's a worry, I think, that anyone who is quite smart with crypto may find a way to, you know, get around that. If they've never mentioned it, it's not huge amounts, but it's significant enough to make a difference. And no one's got any evidence of it. You know, I think we're going to need to find a new way of how to uh, how to sort of find that out. Maybe that's the way to make your next millions. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. To answer your question, Kate, as a tip, you know, it, it's got to be, be honest, because if there is, even people that own crypto aren't necessarily as, as savvy and keyed in as Ash, and he was able to find out information very, very quickly. And if third-party experts on crypto are recognized or, you know, it's felt that it's quite proportionate just to get a report that can be done fairly cheaply and quickly, if you are found out to have misled the court, then there's significant penalties. Yeah. And also, you've got it hanging over you forever, haven't you? The thought that your future wealth that you've predicated your life on, your lifestyle on, could be, you know, disrupted quite severely if, if it's found out. It's just not worth it, is it? I mean, I think no, you're right. Absolutely. Do, do, it, do it properly, get it done, and then make whatever investments you want to once the source down can Exactly. Yeah, I just very quickly to add in there, I was when I got divorced, I was really glad to have done it. I thought the last thing I want is in like in 10 years time yeah. to get unraveled. And I was really methodical with it. And I just wanted it to be done. And I think having that sword of Damocles hanging over your head, thinking somebody's going to find some hidden assets, it's just not yeah. worth it. Yeah, no, I, th- I think that's very good advice to end on. It's been fascinating, Ash. Thank you very much. Where can people find out a bit more about you? Uh, the easiest thing is to go to newkidsontheblockchain.com, where it has links to our YouTube channel, our documentary, and, and everything else there. Brilliant. And Dan, what about you? 
I can be found by the Amical website or on LinkedIn, Daniel Martinez. Brilliant. Well, listen, fascinating conversation with you both. Thank you so much for sharing your thoughts on this new asset crypto and how it's going to change the way that people divorce. But thank you. It's been great hearing all your thoughts. And thank you too for listening.